Praise the Lord, church. Are you happy to be in God's house tonight? Give me a moment while I get situated here. Um, you guys can be seated. I'm not going to read the word just yet. Um, I'm just excited to be to be in God's house with God's people. Um, I wanted to first start with giving honor to Pastor and Sister McFarland for leading our church and allowing me to come teach the word that that the Lord's put upon me. Um, they aren't aren't they a godly example of what a husband and a wife should be, what a man and woman should be together? It's all right. They they deserve that praise. They are. Um, they're not here tonight, as we can see. And Brother Dwayne touched on. Um, they're attending a concert for Jackson and. You know, Pastor mentioned this morning uh, when I spoke to him that it was important for him. And, you know, as a father, it's important. Being a pastor's important. But being, a, you know, a pastor and a pastor's wife, but also being a father and a mother is important as well. I'm thankful for a pastor that is allowing me to come here. And I'm grateful that he's allowing me to fill in for him. Uh, I also want to give honor to Bishop and Sister Fielder. Uh, you know, unfortunately, they can't be here tonight. And I, I pray for Bishop that he will heal. And we know a healer and a provider, and he's going to do that. But I'm also thankful for the love they poured into my life and into my heart when I was a young man. And they, you know, they just, they were instrumental in making this church feel like a home for me uh, when I needed that in my life. Um, I was so impacted by a Bible study that should have taken 12 weeks, that took probably 13 months or whatever. <laughs> he's a, He was a busy man, but... Uh, I was just always thankful for the time he gave me, you know, just a, a lost, hungry soul that, that just wanted to know God, and I was thankful for that. For my lovely, my lovely wife and beautiful daughters, where would I be without you? And I'm so thankful for the support and encouragement. She's always spoken into my life with my walk with God. I'm thankful for my entire family and for my parents, who I'm grateful that are here tonight. Um, My parents are exactly where they've always been. They're present, they're supporting me, and they're loving me, and I'm always thankful of that. And I try to be that kind of parent to my daughters. And finally, to you guys, uh, to this church, because you're family. Um, you're a part of what makes this church amazing, and your seeking of the Holy Spirit and seeking of people that darken those doorways that are new here. You are what makes this church a home, and you're... You guys are all what will make this church grow, and I'm thankful for you all. Now, if you will please stand for the reading of the word. We're going to go to 1 Jonah 1 through 7, and then 12 through 17. If you found it, say amen. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish for the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go to them with Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, and that ship was like to be broken." The mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was, was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so, 
that God will think upon us that we will perish not. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may for those whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. And now to 12 and 17. He said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea calm unto you. For I know for my sake, this tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not unto the, us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And if we'll pray for the Lord. Lord, we love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, Lord. We thank you for, for your spirit that's already been here, and we pray this word goes out into this church and into this world, Jesus, Lord, that it touches a hungry heart, Jesus. And, Lord, that you can bring in lost souls into this church. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house once again, Lord. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> from this we know, and this is my summarization, uh, Jonah was given a word from the Lord to preach to the city of Nineveh, the ancient capital of the Assyrian Empire, and Jonah ran away from the calling that the Lord had put upon him. Amen. Now in him running away from his calling, Jonah also was causing the death of several men, numerous men, however many men were in the boat with him, but he was also causing the death of additional people. So running away from God, Jonah's also going to have these other people killed as well because he's not listening. Um, so Jonah has him, has the men of the boat throw him into the sea. And once they did, the sea immediately calmed and Jonah was swallowed into the belly of the whale. Jonah was called to save 600,000 people of Nineveh, but also... He ended up saving a boat full of men on their way to Tarshish who repented of their sins as well. Even in our failures, the Lord uses us. You believe that? Even in our failures, right? He is good. Jonah was also referred to by Jesus as Jonas. And he loved the nation of Israel and did not want it to, to be overturned, which it you know, was 20 years later by King Salamanster. Jonah's time in the belly of the whale was paralleled to Jesus' time in the grave before he rose. Matthew 12, 39 through 41. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it because they repeated, they re, sorry, they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and beheld a greater than Jonas is here. Luke 11, 29 through 31, and when the people gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation, they seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the son of man be this generation. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment of the men, of this generation and condemn them for she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold a greater than Solomon is here 
The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And they which come in may see the light. Jonah had such pride for his nation, such disdain for the Ninevites, for other, you know, other um, nations, that he did not want the Jewish people to be destroyed by the people of Nineveh. He was choosing his will and his life over God. God doesn't want the people, God doesn't want the people of Nineveh to have the opportunity. I'm sorry, Jonah doesn't want the people of Nineveh to have the opportunity to repent for their sins, which they do. And, and you know, God foresees this, but Jonah's, Jonah doesn't want that to happen. So he runs from his calling. Jonah knows that God is a forgiving God, and he doesn't want to give the Ninevites a chance. Like this, you know, this is like you or I literally, literally ignoring anyone who isn't saved. Sounds absurd, right? This is no different. Jonah, after his time in the belly of the whale, relinquished and preached his sermon to the people of Nineveh. And in these eight words, yet 40, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's all he said. That was Jonah 3 and 4, sorry. Um, eight words. And they repented. The entire city. 600,000 people strong. They all repented. And they did not attack the, the Jewish nation and it was not destroyed. When we're called to do something for God, regardless of magnitude in our minds or the world's, we are meant to act on this calling. This can be called. This can be a call to teach a Sunday school, or to speak to a person about God, to be a faith, faithful, God-fearing, God-loving example to anybody in this world. It doesn't matter what it is. We're expected to move. Unlike that page. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Touch in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Again, he's going to call us to go the way we're supposed, he wants us to go, not the way we feel like we're going. You know, um, pastor spoke on this on Sunday. You know, we have to take that first faithful step out of the boat. Um, and that's what... I mean, truthfully, that's what it is. this is for me tonight. You know, this is that, that step out of the boat that I haven't been willing or wanting to take or that I was scared to take, truthfully. Um, our calling is not for our determination or for our understanding. Whether we can carnally understand what it's for or not, we're doing it for the person or the people that we're impacting. And we may not know the impact. We may never know the impact of that situation for that person or, it, you know, we may never know. So 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering us toward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How can we go, how can we go wrong if we focus on the Lord? You know, um, again, the pastor mentioned uh, Paul stepping out of the boat. You know, Paul, they didn't, I don't think they... I don't think the Bible actually, I'm sorry, Peter, you're correct. Um, I don't think it said how many steps he took. But as he took that step out, he's focused on the Lord, right? The whole time. As soon as the world comes in his mind, he's down. Focused on the Lord, he's walking on water. He's the only other person to ever do it. For me, it's a clear connection between focusing on God and obeying God's command. 
We are called to step out and truthfully be separated from the world. This is to show the world where to find Jesus. We are called to be faithful and Christ-like. Steadying ourselves upon him does not keep us from the storm, but it carries us through the storm. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 21 in the New Living Translation. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name. And he alone is God, the, one, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes. God instructs us here to love foreigners and, foreigners and reach out to them. He charges us to reach this world. Our, our foreigners are the unsaved people in our, in our life, the backsliders in our life, in our circle of influence. You know, everybody, you know, I think I've said it before, the, your, your world, your individual life is your own ministry field. You know, it's uh, whatever, you know, it's your job, it's your school, it's your family, it's, you know, people outside of the church, that's your ministry field. And, you know, that's where you have to make that impact in the world. And I mean, you know, you may be called to minister outside of that as well, but that's where you start. So Matthew 20, 26 through 28, again in the New Living Translation, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as ransom for many. Even David, King David, who was anointed king at a young age, went back to be a shepherd until he was 30 years old. So he's anointed, by, you know, he's anointed with oil, and then they, you know, he goes back out into the field. So you may accept it, but you may have to go back into the field. You, you know, but you still have to, you still continue on. By making ourselves available to the Lord, we are becoming leaders in our communities. We are showing the world what is the most important in our lives, but what should be the most important in theirs. Uh, Luke 11 and 28 in the New Living Translation, Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Ephesians 6 and 1 in the New Living Translation, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. 1 John 2, 1 through 6. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And he can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but does not obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they love in God should live, sorry, those who say they live in God should live in their lives as Jesus did. The definition of obedience is compliance with an order, a request or law, or submission to another's authority. As parents, we expect our children to obey our statements. Uh, we send our dogs to obedience school so they listen when we command them to do something. However, 
we often choose to disobey the Lord. We often need to be reminded to actually take action on what the Lord is speaking to us. And we often need more than a nudge. Guilty as charged. Right here. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times you, you know, you feel it like, you know, the Lord's giving you that little nudge in your back. Like, hey, go pray with that person. Go, go speak to that person. Whatever it is. And, and you don't. And, so, you know, sometimes it's, it's too important. And the Lord says, you know, hang on, I'm going to send somebody else over to go tell you to do it. Because this is, this is big. You know, I need you to go do this. And, and he will. Um, but you have to, sometimes you need more than a nudge. Um, none of us are perfect. When you're a child, you may have sung a little chorus called, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock. That song is taken from a parable in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus explained the importance of building, li- building our lives on a firm foundation. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, who, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The lesson's quite simple. The wise person is obedient to the word of the Lord. He chooses to build his life on hearing and doing the will of God. When trials and temptations assault him, assault him as they will, he does not fall. He is secure because his foundation is solid. The foolish person, on the other hand, hears the word of the Lord, but does not act on it. He is inundated with trouble, and having no foundation, he collapses. Obedience is literally foundational to the Christian life. No obedience, no foundation. Unless we are living in obedience to what God says, we have nothing upon which to build our lives, nothing upon which to rest for assurance, and nothing to rely on when we are tested. Jesus said, this is the way to be wise. Trust him, follow him, obey him, and you will be building on a rock. In both the Old and New Testament, uh, the Hebrew word, there's not a Hebrew word that directly translates to obey, um, to the English word obey. Um, The the Hebrew word actually translates more to hearing or listen. So obedience is a positive, active response to listening to the word of God. I'm going to say that again because I feel like that's important. Obedience is a positive, active response to listening to the word of God. If you guys will all stand, I'm coming to a close. Luke 11 through 28. But he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Can you think of an example of how knowing and obeying Christ's words proved to be a solid foundation for your life during a time of test or adversity? I know I can think of one, probably more. The only Reliable means of measuring our love for God is to examine whether we obey him. We may dress the part, act the part, talk the part of being a Christian, but none of these things prove we genuinely love God. Obedience is the only way. John 14, 21, and then 23 through 24, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he, is, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall love shall be loved of my Father. I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man loved me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto me and make our abode with him. 
He that loveth me not keepeth not, loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. The relationship between love and obedience is a simple connection. Um, if we truly love God, we seek to know and keep his commandments. If we are not keeping his commands, we cannot honestly claim to love him. Our actions speak louder than words. When we obey God, we prove we love him. So how does obeying God affect our capacity to know God and to experience his love for us? Does your life give evidence that you love God? Thank you, Brother Rich. Amen for pouring out your heart tonight. I can say I've been there, and that is so nerve-wracking. <laughs> There's a truth in what he was speaking. I know most of us today, well, maybe not anybody in this exact room, but tend to hate that word obedience. <laughs> I know I struggled with it. Uh, early, um, I remember I came to Bishop when he was pastor and when I talked to him about preaching and he, and he was said he agreed with me and he was excited and I was excited and we both were excited and I couldn't wait to be on the platform that next week. Well, it wasn't next week. <laughs> it was like two years, and um, and I I don't say that begrudgingly because um, he he had a reason, and it worked, and it and I wondered for a long time, but um, he he did what he knew he needed to do, and uh, man, I owe Bishop everything for one Wednesday night handing me a microphone uh, and having his trust in me to come and preach the word. And I know that's not easy uh, for him, especially, and I try not to mess it up. <laughs> it's, very, it's very hard, especially for me. But um, when he was speaking, I th and he mentioned David, you know, David was anointed three times. And that was probably, it coincides with um, my life as much as probably anybody. That time frame that you have when you're, when you're kind of holding, when you're just, you're in that area where you, you're, you're just kind of waiting. You're waiting on where you're going to go and what you're going to do and where God's going to lead you. And sometimes you get super anxious and you just, you want to move and you want to move. But um, I, I had many uh, men of God speak into my life and to tell me to have patience because God's going to do what he's going to do when it's time to do it. And I tell that to somebody tonight, don't get impatient with what God's doing in your life. Whatever needs you got, whatever it is, don't get impatient. And God's doing the work. He's going to do it. See, God is God. He's, he's not in your time. He's not in my time. He's not in any time. God is before time and after time. He's already in your tomorrow, and he's already in your next week. I know that's hard to comprehend, but he is because he's God. If you study the Bible, he spoke of 
uh, Jonah and the kind of the relationship to Jesus Christ. And there's many types and shadows in the Bible. I mean, it's if you study all the types and shadows, it, it really will blow your mind how many things actually correlate to one another. I'll give you one example, maybe because I, I want to sound smart, but, um, you know, the Bible says that, that when the children of Israel were being disobedient and they were sick and I think they were getting bitten by snakes, and the Bible says that God had the man of God walk through with a, a pole with a snake wrapped around it. And if they looked upon this, this snake, that they would get their healing and they wouldn't die. Well, if you look at an ambulance today, you see that same sign. And most people don't even think about that. That's that same image of what was transpired, of what happened in the Bible with that. I never knew what it was. I never knew what it represented. But everything in the Bible is woven in, into our lives and into everything around us, things that we don't even realize. Amen. Brother Rich, once again, I thank you for pouring.